Hello. We're getting a little bit of a late start here. Thank you very much for waiting. My name is Tucker Johnson, and I am your host today as we experience NIMSY Live, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all that fun stuff global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least not to piss them off too much. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics you'd like covered or guests we should reach out to for future episodes. If you haven't already done so, make sure you're subscribed to NIMSY Insights. Now's your chance. If you're not following us on LinkedIn, go over there, hit that follow button on our company page, and you'll be one of the first people to know to be notified when we publish new research available on nimsy.com when we schedule new live streams like this and it's just a good way to keep in the loop so subscribe or follow nimsy insights a quick introduction to the platform we're coming to you live today on linkedin facebook twitter um, probably a couple other platforms as well and I'm going to do my best to pull up the comments in chat. So if you'd like to interact with us, ask questions, leave comments, criticisms, any of that stuff, go ahead and leave a message in chat and we'll do our best to address those live as we are recording this episode. Without further ado, I'll get into today's topic. In this episode, we are going to be discussing language technology. There are many, many, many options available on the market. Um, different tools and plugins and suites that you can plug into your overall language technology stack. Many of these have been around for years or even decades. So I wanted to speak with somebody today developing a relatively new, new technology out there on the market to understand what a greenfield approach is to developing Langtech. So we are speaking with Doug Stroke, the leader behind Unicorn Advanced Management Platform. Um, uh, so, sorry, uh, I'll give you a quick introduction. My, my camera keeps cutting out here, so I'll see what I can do about that in the meantime. But Unicorn AMP is a product of Angel Software Development LLC. It is a relative newcomer on the application development world. However, the agility and innovation that they are bringing are leading the pack. Their senior developer's philosophy is that code not only has to function well, but also has to be elegant with regards to how it is written. In many cases, code is written, then rewritten to make it better, more concise, and more efficient. Software should make your daily work easier and be more intuitive. Why search for something when it should appear when needed? Their goal is to bring you stable, helpful, and user-friendly software that meets real-world needs. Are they perfect? No. That is why they are welcoming your feedback, and hopefully you guys can learn a little bit more about them today and how to contact them because they are doing this from scratch, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you today, Doug. I'm going to turn it over to you to, to introduce yourself and your product and your companies out there but um just to kind of set the stage i'm looking forward to talking to you because like i said there's a lot of technology out there that's been around there for years and i want to hear what someone if they're developing something from scratch what's important to you and what's being prioritized out there in the market today welcome to the show doug oh thank you tucker it's a pleasure to be here and i appreciate the chance to to get in front of your audience so yes uh, where did we begin? Um, I graduated from West Point back in 1982, did 10 years of active duty, had a degree in aerospace engineering, but never did anything with it. 
Um, but most of my time was spent with IT. So I have an MBA in information systems going back into the late 80s. And I've been around software and software design for many, many years. And so uh, GLTAC, Global Language Translations and Consulting, got its start back inside of Dow Corning in 1996. And at that time, I didn't know of any other tools that were out there. Uh, we were Trados users because Dow Corning had it, but there was no real management platform. Uh, as a result of my work on the Y2K project at Dow Corning, a couple of the Indian gentlemen that I worked with said they would develop the software and code it if I could tell them what I wanted. So really it came out of ignorance rather than any big dream of having a, a software platform. And that was, uh, what, 21 years ago now? 21 years ago. A lot has changed in technology has in changed. the last 20 years, right? So it, it certainly has. And so this has evolved over that time. And from where we started to now, it's just been completely redone. But it's been done with consistent project manager feedback and input all along that way. So as a tool that really enables the project manager role, that's been the whole focus of this for 20 some years. So this is, so tell us a little bit about like, what is it that we're talking about here? We're talking about a translation business management solution. What does the product do essentially? And, and I know I have some, some slides here. So sure. if, you, if you, if you want to direct me to the right slides, if there's applicable slides and all of that stuff, but just to kind of set the stage. As we go. Yeah. Um, and so, when we look at this, it's more than just managing the ins and outs and nuts and bolts of a translation project, uh, because there's more to the business than just the translation project management. Sure. And so when we deal with it, <clears throat> what we find is it's not the translation aspect that trips us up. It's all the other stuff. Okay. Dealing with the client peculiarities, whether it's a large corporation and every site is different within that corporation. How do you keep things straight for each site? How do you keep things straight for the corporate overall? Mm -hmm. um, and doing all that, keeping track of the documentation, you may have a different work order or statement of work for each site. And so keeping all that straight and available for the project manager so they can pull it up when needed. And then the other part of that, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, there's just so many ways that we've looked at reducing workload, uh, questions and answers. When we have a project, in fact, we just got one today, where you've got 40, <clears throat> 47 languages and one translator has a question. Well, that question pertains to all 47. Why, why you don't receive 47 questions sure. on the same problem, I don't know. Yeah. But you have to notify 47. Yep. So the PM sends out 47 emails. Well, then every linguist feels compelled to say, oh, thank you for that. And you get 47 back. Mm -hmm. And it just keeps going that way. And next thing you know, you've got 500 emails that add zero value to that job. Well, and they sure take a long time. They, they, take they, a long they time. add value to the project manager, assuming that they're getting paid by the hour. Some of them. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them do, yes. Um, but we felt that there is a lot missing there. And yeah. so we developed the database and a way to allow the project manager to collect questions from the translators, 
that were specific to a document, a language pair, or source text, send it off to the client as a downloaded spreadsheet, get the answers back, upload the answers, and automatically notify the translators on the job with a daily announcement. Here's the updates for the questions that were asked. And then they can quickly refer to that. And everyone has the same information across the job. So, and so, this is just an enormous efficiency gain. And a lot of a lot of these features, um, you know, if, if we're if we're talking about it here, a lot of these features, they're not necessarily brand new features, right? Like other systems out there have it. And what what I want to talk to you about and kind of ask ask you is because you're not a newcomer to this industry. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you know, the pitfalls and I feel a lot of the newcomer technology companies don't really know what they're getting into. Um, so how are you able to use your past experience with the technology that does exist on the market to find something, some ways to improve it? Yes. Well, we're looking at what would make sense if we have an integration opportunity or things that we offer that the others don't things they do. We don't. Um, and saying, if there is a demand for that, then yes, we have the ability to add that on. But given our peculiar way of doing things in our client base, we feel that what we have works for the company that wants to deal with a higher level of client, a, um, I guess, a higher level of quality. It's not a deep dive into the machine world. It is really meant for more of a human touch with clients that distinguish what they're doing in terms of safety or quality or liability. And they want that assurance that the things are going to be done well, their data is protected, yep. that kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of this is you guys, new kids on the block, right? You haven't been mm -hmm. around for decades and pushing out new features and workflows and all of that stuff. So a lot of what you're doing is really informed by the actual 2023 needs of the clients that are working on it. And by the way, as a point of clarification, who are your clients? Are, is this something that is interesting for LSPs? Is it something that's interesting for end clients? Like who is it out there that would be using this technology? Yes. So there's a little bit of something for everyone there. And if you're an LSP or a language service company, uh, whether you're a single language or multi-language vendor, there is a lot of benefit for this platform to take you from where you are to a, a higher efficiency level. But for others that don't deal with language, anybody that has a document-driven workflow, a marketing company, uh, advertising agency, anyone like that would potentially benefit. But even beyond that, Things like the knowledge base and the ISO component would apply to any small business that was either looking for a way to manage their corporate knowledge. And I'm talking about all the things that are in someone's head mm -hmm. that if they got hit, no one else knows anything about it. Yeah, it's a big Where problem. Do you capture every, that? every company, every company. And there are separate, I, don't, I can't think of any systems that are designed specifically for our industry but there are a lot of separate knowledge base um, suites, so solutions, whatever they are out there. 
And we've looked into a lot of these at Nimsy Insights. Nimsy is a knowledge company after all, mm -hmm. right? And so we've looked into a lot of these. And a lot of them, I don't want to say that they fall short. Like there's really robust solutions out there, but you almost need to hire a dedicated knowledge manager to maintain them, right? That's not actually built into the tools that you're using on a day-to-day -day basis. And yes. I'm thinking that would be incredibly helpful where I don't want a separate database that I need to go take time out of my day to update, to keep, to keep the knowledge, you know, to get the knowledge out of my head. I need something that's going to be in the environment that I'm working in on a day-to-day -day basis. So it makes it really easy for people to actually be documenting and sharing that knowledge. Right. And so as we... Looks like we're running into some bandwidth issues. Um, as we look at sharing that knowledge, I was in the National Guard. They had a SharePoint system set up. And if you said, I want to find what's our schedule going to be like for the annual training in the summer. Mm -hmm. Do you look under the folder for the annual training? Do you look under the folder for your section? Do you look under, you know, it just, it was all over the map. And as organized as they were, it was still very hard to find something. Yeah. So in this case, our knowledge base allows you to tag items. You can put uh, the quotes in there and do an exact text search on the item. You can set priority items to be higher on the list all the time. Or you can search with just items with documents. There's a lot of different ways you can go about it. But you can have it by language. You can have it by... Uh, just a piece of information that doesn't have to be a document. Yeah. And I see here, I'm pulling up one of the slides that you gave me uh, a knowledge base for storing, not just documents, but institutional knowledge for sharing among team members, customizable tags for better organization with inline editing for word and Excel files, version control and access restrictions exist. So all of them, all of the markings of, uh, you know, respectable knowledge base, but built into the actual tool that you're using. Yes. And, this is interesting to me when I was reviewing this this material that that you'd sent prior to prior to going live today. Um, this was interesting to me because talking to you lets me know, like, since you're just coming out here onto the market, it gives us an insight into like, okay, what's being prioritized? Like, what are the first features and things that you need to address? And the very next one here is something that anyone who's had to manage this knows is a huge pain in the butt which is processing payments processing you know sending and receiving money can be a challenge for any organization but in our industry particularly on the vendor side it can be a huge headache because you not only be able to you not only need to be able to receive and send money you need to be able to do it in dozens if not hundreds of different countries and currencies around the world. So one of the things that you prioritize is integration with, with PayPal. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Yes, so this ties in with the independent contractor interface. So okay. on their portal, they are able to come in, look at their open uh, jobs or the things they've completed and say, I want this PO, that PO, that PO, all included on this invoice. And I'm going to give it an invoice number for their tracking. But then they also say, I agree that the amounts are correct. And that if I'm paid this, we are good to go. 
So either that or I disagree, and here's why I disagree. But that tells our payment person that this contractor agrees that the amounts are fine. I can go ahead and process that payment without worrying about, oh, by the way, it wasn't right. And then all they do is go in and it just runs through and processes the PayPal payments automatically. And it posts the transaction number. It does all that. Now, yes, we still do WISE. We do wire transfers. We do paper checks. We do direct deposit. We do all these other things. But having the ability to put that transaction ID number with the payment and the payment type or even the check number. Yeah. Everything's says, right there. Here's a record that ties it back to you actually got the payment. Don't yep. don't come back two years from now and say, hey, I never got paid for these five thousand dollars. Because it happens. It happens, it happens all the time. And if your records are in nine different places at once, it's really hard to have a conversation or a productive yes. conversation around that, I would say. Yes. And, you and also- so they can they can go in at any time and look at their status. Very cool. And the next thing that I wanted to ask about on, on this slide is the automated vendor management with integration to ProZ to continually search for candidates based based upon need. I've never seen this before, but I guess it, it makes perfect sense. Um, and, you know, I've been in this industry longer than I care to admit, but I still do not know if it's Pros or ProZ, how you pronounce that. I, I'm sorry. And I've met with those guys. They're wonderful people over there, but I still don't understand. I'm just going to call it ProZ. Yeah. It's, yeah, Unicorn AMP, Unicorn AMP. <laughs> right, so same GLTAC, thing. GLTAC, GLTAC. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, talk to me about that, because I've never actually heard of something integrating. Most most um, systems that, that I've seen in my day are, yeah, the vendor manager is heavily using Prozy, perhaps, to find candidates, but then they're taking them out and putting them into their own database. So there's this this extra step. What does that even look like when your tools integrated directly with Prozy? Well, absolutely. And that's what they, the way it worked at GLTAC for many years. Sure. Oh, by the way, we need this person in this language with this expertise, yep. and we need them yesterday. Okay, everybody runs out, starts searching. And it just turns out that Pro-Z, ProZ has a an API that we could connect to. Okay. Now, that's probably requirement number one. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, no API. There's not much you can do about it. Right? No API. There's nothing you can do. So when having an API, what then can we do with that API? Well, we start researching that. And it turns out that you still cannot get down to a subdomain language. You get French. Okay. You don't get Canadian French or French for Europe, that kind of thing. Okay. And so I have a request into them to enable that sub-language granularity because it makes a difference from a regulatory perspective. Oh, sure. Well, it, yes. you know, if a client wants Canadian French, you need to be able to give them Canadian French, right? It's yes, kind of a, exactly. a big deal. So the answer I got was, well, you can look through the results and see – who's from Canada. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of problems with that. Anyway, what we are also looking for is a specific domain knowledge. And what I don't want is to be pulling back all these people that say, I can do everything from advertising to zoology because you can't. Yeah. yeah. And so we allow you to put in your, your search fields and put in some keywords Let's say we need to match on more than one or two keywords for that person to appear in the result. Yeah. 
regardless of the domain. Okay. You're automotive engineering, you have uh, thermodynamics, you have internal combustion engine in your profile somewhere, you have something else that's going to tell me, yeah, this is the kind of person I really want. And then it will go out and search every day and bring back the qualified candidates and then allow you to go through and quickly onboard them, send them a, a process, and we're working on that, refining that still in terms of how we communicate with them, how we test them, how we communicate after the test results. And that's where the integration with the Citrix right signature comes in. You could probably do DocuSign, where they then are pointed to your independent contractor agreement. They sign it. It's automatically uploaded and named and stored with that linguist. The PM doesn't touch any of that. That's nice. Because normally that requires, well, whether it's a project manager or a vendor manager, but all of that stuff is a very, well, at least I shouldn't say this, but back in my day, like when I was doing that kind of stuff, it's a very manual process. Um, yes. And it's something, it's just the whole onboarding process. Like we work with a lot of organizations here at NIMSI Insights, you know, helping them optimize and all that stuff. And there's vendor management is always one of those key areas where it's like, uh, how do we fix this? Right. Because it, inevitably what it comes down to is one human, you know, a vendor manager that's doing this basically manual outreach. They might have databases like Prozy available to them, but at the end of the day, they're needing to email all these people, have conversations. And if they do have a vendor portal, then it's okay. I need to help you create your profile in the vendor portal, there's always questions and it's, it's never as easy as it sounds like it should. No. Be. And so we want to integrate with other potential platforms that can provide linguistic talent, such as maybe LinkedIn or the ATA, things like that, right? Because yeah. then they have to have an API that we have to be able to work with. Yeah. However, the other part of that is demand driven. Okay. And so that's where you have the ability to say, how many linguists do I need to handle this volume of requests? Yeah. And then keep searching until I have that number. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as qualified in that domain and language pair. Yeah, it's always, you know, so it's kind of like a, a just-in-time methodology for, for vendor resourcing. It's, it's going to be looking for the things you need instead of your PM doing it. It's out looking. And all you need to do is check your results to see what's coming back. Yeah. Who do I really then want to pursue? And you can you can tailor that a little bit to say, maybe I'm too restrictive. Maybe I want to open it up a bit more. But if I'm getting the kind of people I don't want, then I need to tighten that down. Yeah. And it's, you know, because the alternative to like this just-in-time sourcing, talent sourcing is – and a lot of organizations do this, but they just build these their own proprietary massive databases of vendors, translators. And right. they think that these are big selling points. And they use these like in their, their pitch decks and on their website, you'll say they'll say, you know, twenty five thousand translators at your fingertips, right? And it's like, okay, you have twenty five thousand people in your database, but how many of those are you actually using? on a daily basis is, is the question for that. Right. Right. Yes. And when I'm looking for the PhD chemist in Greenland, 
I know he's not in that 25,000. Right. And, and that's what I, I always say is that it doesn't matter how many people you have in, in your database, there's always going to be a need for this flexible sourcing model. Like you can have a lot of people in your database and you can use that database and get a lot of work out of, but there's always going to be a project that you got to scramble on. <laughs> right. And then this goes back to what is your relationship as a language service company with your translators, with your linguists? They're all independent contractors. They can work with anybody. Why do they choose to work with you if you treat them as a commodity? Right. So we value ours very highly. We don't want to just throw the job out there and say the first one grabs it, gets it. Uh, a, we we right. can't control our costs that way, but sure. you don't control your quality that way either necessarily. Well, and what happens is in these, uh, I guarantee you, you take any LSB out there that's bragging about having 20,000 translators in their database. And I guarantee you, like on a regular basis, they're using 2,000 of them. Right. I mean, my percent, my numbers might be off a little bit, but the vast, vast majority, those people, they haven't received a job for three years. And right. if you were to contact them today with a job, they'd probably reject it because it's not like they're just sitting there waiting for three years for a job. They, they're getting work right. from other people. Right. Right. So yes. Talk to me a little bit about, I want to go to this, um, here on your design philosophy as, as you're going through this. And we've covered a lot of these items, but walk me through this slide, would you? Yeah, sure. Uh, a lot of people are, again, talking about how they can automate the entire workflow. And we don't feel, in our case, that's helpful because we have so many issues with source text files. And we get truncated phrases. We have yeah. the wrong file. We have... Now, oh, sorry, I meant to do the other thing. Yeah, out-of-box integration, like when uh, organizations, and, you know, there's organizations that do this very well with a lot of different file types. But it's always like, hey, we integrate directly with your workflow. It's like, you know, asterisk, assuming that your workflow is GitHub plus Microsoft Office files plus, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. You know, it's not you throw a PageMaker file at somebody and it's going to break a lot of these <laughs> automations right. that are advertised. Well, not only that, we have worked with the same clients for almost 20 years uh -huh. and we know their file formats and they'll, they'll typically send us Excel files. And so you'll have, here's my source text column. Here's all the columns for the other languages. And that's fine. We can deal with that. Yeah. We got one yesterday, and here's every language interspersed line by line for every file. And we've never had that format from them. Yeah, that's a fun one. Where? <laughs> I mean. I've had that before. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, and, and it's one of those it's, things. Like if you're getting that, if you're getting one of those a week on an ongoing basis, fine. Write, write a script, write a macro, write, you know, f figure it out so that you can automate that. But yeah, exactly. if you only but, receive one a year, does it make sense to automate that? And everything else has been a different way. And so we've done those scripts and macros and we have tools to handle uh, all kinds of Excel things. We also have the ability to do those filters and apply a filter configuration if we get agreement that they will use the same source and target columns. Yeah. And so that's fine. Um, and so, yes, uh, we want to do as few button clicks as possible. Makes sense. And so that drives your your PM efficiency reduces training complexity. 
reduces uh, the errors, hover text right is a big thing yeah the fewer and steps that a human has to do the fewer opportunities there is to introduce human error for error exactly so. and then focusing on the non-value added activities file naming file moving email handling all those things add no value but take a lot of time and again chances for error and then letting the requirements and the conditions and rules drive the system actions and so when we talk about that we're looking at having the language pairs and the expertise on the project drive which tms are assigned in memoq the pm does not go in and touch anything we don't have a template yeah. In memo queue. Yeah, well, that's the type of stuff that you want. You, you definitely you need to have standardized because what happens yes. if the PM's sick and someone's covering for them that day, right? Are they going right. to know which TMs to use? Exactly. And it's all dynamic. And when we do it, we do deal with hundreds of TMs because we have them built for regulation and regulatory mm -hmm. compliance. Yeah, 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 yeah. So even and, more so important then. Right. Um, but for example, if we have a client that came back and was disappointed and gave us negative feedback. And we had this discussion yesterday in the ASTM meeting talking about when is a corrective action required? Well, if you're ISO 9001 certified and you have an error that made it through to the client, that will generate a corrective action. But okay. now you can tie that corrective action in the ISO tool to that negative feedback. Talk to me about the, the ISO certification, because that's one of the major things that you're big differentiators, I would say. Um, and frankly, I'm not an ISO expert. So talk to me a little bit about that. What does that mean to have a tool that's ISO compliant? Well, it's okay. For ISO 17100, that is saying that you, by default, require a translator and a second equally qualified uh, revision to happen on every job for every file. Okay. Now, the way you are still compliant is if the client says, no, I don't want that and takes that off. And they're saying, okay, that's the requirement. They don't need that. But you have to offer that by default to initially be compliant. Okay. And so that's where that comes in. Now, the other part is managing your corrective actions, preventive actions, continual improvements, uh, capturing your training, doing your risk assessments, and then tying a risk assessment to all the different things that you're doing. Risk is a big part of ISO 9001-2015, risk management. And so when we went through our audit two years ago, the auditor was a new gentleman coming to our group, had worked at Microsoft before, okay. and was familiar with software, and said that... Uh, what we have, he said, he has not seen anything that comprehensive from companies even with far more IT resource than we have. Wow. So I felt that was a really good validation from an external source that was not, yeah. not sought. From Microsoft, no, no less, right? <clears throat> right. And what, what, one thing I found about ISO is you mentioned companies with more resources. I've, in my experience, and mind you, I'm not an ISO expert, but where I've seen it done well has little to do with the amount of budget and resources and size of the team and has more to do with just the knowledge and experience of, of the team members. It, it's kind of like this little niche that you kind of need an ISO guy 
You know what I'm saying? Someone who, who knows the ins and outs, has worked in it before, has serviced clients in it before. Yes. And again, I unfortunately, I operate largely out of ignorance. And yeah. so, well, most of us do. <laughs> when we went to be ISO that's how you learn. That's how you learn, right? At do. one point, we were all ignorant about everything. <laughs> 2010, we wanted to be ISO 9001, 2008. So yeah. I found a template. I modified the template. I then go to the BSI course in Western Virginia for ISO lead auditors. Huh. Very first words out of the instructor's mouth were, whatever you do, do not go from a template. Oh, whoops. And I thought, well. <laughs> See, you, you're already learning something. <laughs> I'm already learning something, but too late anyway. Because <laughs> the template applies mostly to manufacturing, and I'm sitting there, I don't need this, I don't need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but by paring it down to that point, and when you look at the ISO program, it's really about continual improvement and being able to consistently deliver quality time and time again. So client satisfaction is a big metric on-time delivery, and how many you know uh, complaints you're getting back, how many issues you have, do you have corrective actions? Are those actions effective? How are you tracking that? So going through audits over the years, we now have a fairly robust uh, ISO approach. And it's not hard. The more consistent you are, the easier it will be for you to become ISO certified. Well, I mean, because it's all about standardization, right? Right, and, and what, documentation. And documentation. But that's that's where I think our industry kind of butts heads because our as we were talking about, the way that we do things is inherently not standardized or standardizable, especially on the vendor side when you're working with, perhaps if you're on the client side, sure, if you're sending requests and have your own workflows. But if you're on the vendor side, you're you're not working with one process. You're working with 20 different processes, 100 different processes. It depends on how many clients you have because every right. localization program is different out there. So anytime yes. we can come up with any sort of standardization in our industry or an agreement on something, best practices, what have you, it's, it's a major feat. It's a big accomplishment, I think, because the amount of negotiation between you know, all of these conversations that are happening with, you know, the industry associations and at the conferences and in think tanks and, you know, with companies like us, you know, clients and talking to us about stuff like that. It's, um, it's amazing that we can never agree on anything. <laughs> well, and we don't have standardization and language codes, not between linguists and LSC and client. For example, right? For example, yes. I can't tell you how many, like, formula you know excel sheet formulas i've written in my day to convert stuff because a client uses one code but your system uses a different code and the translator wants something else and yeah you would think that's yes. something that could be standardized and expertise we don't have standardized subject domains that i had actually never even thought about that but that is very true and you know standardized um systems exist we're just not using them out there Right. Pick one. Right. <laughs> yes. So those things are all hindering our, our industry quite a bit, I feel. Well, I, I want to take us down a different route here because you mentioned it a few times and it's in your documentation that um, this integration with MemoQ, what does that look like? How, how does your tool work with MemoQ? 
Yes, so MemoQ, I, um, I just gave a presentation at MemoQ Fest 2023 in Budapest. A uh, great time, How great was people it? there. Yeah, wonderful. I've heard such good things about it, and I can never, it never did works you, out for me to go to Budapest. Did you hear what else was there that week? Uh, what else was there? The Harley Davidson 120th anniversary. Oh, do you ride? Uh, I do not, but 6,000 motorcycle riders showed up in Budapest that weekend. I'm, now I'm wondering how much it would cost to ship my motorcycle to Hungary. <laughs> I, yeah, week. Probably a lot of them one. did. Yeah. But anyway, uh, ISO, or I mean, um, uh, the uh, Memo Q integration, yes. So we have a two directional integration. It's not just our platform talking to Memo Q. Memo Q can reply back and provide updates for our system. And so this is the dynamic application of TMs, TBs, everything to a project. Uh, it's done through the naming convention we use and it goes beyond that. So let's say you have standard files, you're doing all this and you export those files from the TBMS to MemoQ, mm -hmm. but you have one that requires a special filter. Mm -hmm. And you have to go into MemoQ and actually import that using a very complicated filter that you're going to deal with in MemoQ. And then you come back and you have the file in the job folder. It's named identically. You just hit the resync button and now the TBMS and MemoQ co coordinate and say, okay, I'm now reconnected with that file you just imported to MemoQ hmm. using that so, custom so every, filter. So everything's talking to each other. Everything talks to each other. You can make assignments directly in MemoQ that reflect in the TBMS, <laughs> or you can propagate assignments through uh, the TBMS, through the Unicorn platform. And then what happens is that they get uh, the resync, they get all the TMs and TBs applied and uh, quality uh, QA settings. They have the uh, pre-translations done Quark uh, calculates their discounts. It uh, creates their purchase orders. It uh, then also cre creates the RTF files. Okay. And the RTF files are for those that obviously don't work in MemoQ or have their own instance. They want to pull it, it out can be and do it in sent. Else. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, the other thing the RTF files do is give us the ability to use that question and answer tool to search through new material for any existing questions matching on their source text to say, we've already got the answer. Oh, that's interesting. Before you ask the question, here's the answer. Okay. And this happens when the clients repeatedly send the wrong information in the source files. It's got a particular problem that they refuse to fix for whatever reason. Yeah, and maybe you're using a different translator this time for whatever exactly. reason, right? So there, they should have the same answer. That always scares me when I send something that there's obviously there should be a question about it, but nobody right. asks me, right? And nobody Cause, asks. Because that happens sometimes too. So it's about staying proactive and proactively answering those questions. Exactly. And so when they enter source text that already matches an existing question in the, the question and answer tool, it will alert them to say, here, Put this text into it'll pre-fill the search mechanism. Just search for it. You'll see the answer to that question. Wow, that's really cool. I don't I don't think I've seen that before. 
Right. So again, that's that thing where you have the capability now with storing these questions and answers. And you also have the ability to indicate whether this is a key decision point with that client. Do we do it this way or do we do it that way? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they say, we always want it done this way. Yep. Well, okay, this is where we agree to that. Now, if someone else comes in and says, no, we want to go back the other way. You say, wait a minute. Here's the point where we said we were agreeing that it was going to be done this way. And all of this is happening directly in the tool. And right. whereas previously it was many, many emails that, right. that would need to be happened. And so I feel there's a lot more we can do to push that knowledge from the knowledge base, from the question and answer tool and get it more proactive rather than reactive. Yeah. So it sounds to me like a lot of the features that, that you've chosen to implement into this tool set are based upon, well, they're based upon past experience, but improvements are usually based upon things that have gone wrong or things yes. that annoy you. And pain, pain points from the project managers, yes. Yeah, so I remember you know talking to you about you know pain points or pet peeves in the industry. So tell me a little bit about like some of the things that you, because you have the power, you're developing your own technology. Like what are some of the things that you're trying to fix with that and what are they based upon? Uh, well, yeah, we've covered some of them already. Uh, one is the knee-jerk reaction to having to go out and quickly search for somebody yep. rather than having a list of people built up over time. And it's constantly updating. So even if somebody brand new posts a resume or an entry, you're going to pull that in. And if they're qualified, great. You're not scrambling at the last minute. Um, Eliminating the generalist that wants to get a job no matter what the domain, that's another pet peeve. For two cents um, a word. Yes. My, my two red and, flags, like when you charge two cents per word or one cent per word, and the second one is they're experts in everything. <laughs> yes. And just the amount of time spent bouncing from screen to screen to screen. Yeah. And to be fair, that's how we started. And the, the PMs were constantly complaining. I have to go from the job level to the document to the language, but that's how it goes. Well, then we, we did some I research had... <laughs> at one point on that, and I had like a statistics. The average person in our industry uses, in the course of one day, on average, they're using 37 different pieces of software. And yes. Don't quote me on that without me pulling up the research, but it was something like that. And for I... some reason, 37. But I'm talking, you know, it's like you're talking to this client in Skype, you're talking to this client in chat, and then you're using this TM, TMS for this client. Um, you're using a term base, you're using a query management tool, you're using a third-party quality assurance tool, you're using some weird script that your IT guy wrote to solve right. a problem. And 37 in one day, that is insane. I, I can easily believe that. Um because if you're dealing with, um, oh, for example, XML files, you might be in Notepad++. You you might be in all sorts of different tools. Yeah. And so, yeah. And like to the point where we don't even think about it. Like when I don't, when I open my edit pad, like, because like here, here's the wonky stuff I'll do, right? Like just like for encoding reasons, I'll take some text and I'll try to paste it into a Word doc and it like gives me some weird stuff. Right. Like I'm sure there's a fix to that, but mm -hmm. what I do is I just open up edit pad or notepad and copy it in there and then copy and paste it into word doc. I mean, it's a total duct tape solution, 
but a lot of the solutions that we use on a day-to-day basis are duct tape solutions. Right. And I'm sorry, I'm cutting in and out here. No, uh, the other pet peeve I have was in trying to prepare for an ISO audit or something else, and you're looking at, okay, I've got spreadsheets with all these links in them. The hyperlinks are broken. Someone renamed the file. Somebody moved it to a different version. Um, and we just you know, have a really hard time keeping track of information, which drove me to the knowledge base approach. And that's kind of a never-ending project because you're always creating new things. You've always got to maintain it but it's a central repository. And now that enables me to put links on the website, to put links in other areas that tie specifically to that source document with version control. And I can track everything from one document without worrying about broken links and knowing that I've got the right version. Are we, are we through your list of pet peeves? I'm sure we could, we could go on. We could have a whole podcast talking about our pet peeves from maybe a lot of them. We shouldn't say on air, right? (laughs) But well, stuff like that. Yeah. And again, it's, it's how much wasted time is there spending renaming files, moving files and just file handling in general, especially on a larger project. Yeah. And I I think this gives you a, a great advantage or, let me just say, like I started out junior localization project manager and I've done lots of stuff, let's just say. I wouldn't say everything, but dang near everything in our industry to get to where I'm at today. And I feel so fortunate to have had that experience, that upbringing, so to speak, in our industry because it's really given me a 360 view and understand what are the actual challenges and stuff. And I feel a lot of the technology out there today, and there's a lot of it, more than there was 10 years ago. Um, go check out the Nimsy Technology Atlas. And there's like hundreds and hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds of different technologies. And a lot of these organizations are not from the language services industry. And they struggle because they don't understand the nuances, the, the tiny little, the pain in the ass of non-standardized language codes for mm-hmm. example they just don't understand that because they've never had to deal with that and so they struggle in the first few years and i, I used to say and i still do say i, I used to say language top companies i mean lsps typically suck at building their own technology and technology companies suck at language right because the tech guys are tech guys and the language guys are language guys. And there's been a big gap that we've been trying to fill. Um, it's getting better, I would say, though. Yes. It's getting better. Well, and that's that's also been an advantage of having the developer in the office. Because yeah. when he has a question, he goes to that person, sits down, watches what they do, how they're doing it, and says, oh, okay, now I got it. I may not do it the way I, I was thinking, but I understand where I need to go and how this thing needs to work to be a benefit to you. Yeah, makes a big difference. So things like the sticky notes. Uh, Having a sticky note pop up on a job that gives you a reminder of what the requirements are for converting an InDesign file or something like that, whatever. whatever. It can be client-specific. It can be file-specific. It can be matching any set of rules that you build that says for this particular incident, Here's the reminder of what you should be doing. Because you may only do it once or twice a year and you forget. You forget. Yeah. 
and yeah. something and that's then not you're, worth, you know, automating because you're only doing it once or twice a year. Right. Or then you're off looking through your notebook for that page where you wrote that down. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the clock here and we're running sure. out of time. I would say, um, to closing questions, what's next for you guys? How, and please let people know how they can get in contact with you, who should get in contact with you. Um, all of that good stuff. I'll give you give you a minute here to close it up. Yeah, sure. Um, in terms of what's next, we are certainly looking for early adopters of the platform, uh, people that would be using um, Office 365 or uh, MS Outlook, uh, using MemoQ, and uh, be willing to go through that early phase with us and uh, take a look at the platform. But uh, uh, be info at unicorn-amp.com would be one way to get that. Uh, you could talk to me at djstrock at gltac.com. That would be another way. But we have probably 50 to 60 enhancements on the board already for what we've got. And we're always looking at it from, yeah, this is phase one. Yeah. What does phase two and phase three and what is the ideal end state we're trying to get to look like? So we're not going along and having to throw something out completely. It's just we know that version one is going to be this set just to get something out there. Yep. Then we'll we'll play with it a while. We'll see what works, what, how we can improve it, what makes sense. Awesome. Well, Doug, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for booking this today. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity again. Thank you. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up here and take us home. Ladies, gentlemen, chat, we are out of time for today. If you enjoyed this Nimsy live experience, then join us next time when, you know, I don't have the date, but I know we got some interesting stuff on the calendar. So go check out our LinkedIn page and go over to that events tab and you can see all of the fun stuff that we're getting scheduled there. Uh, I appreciate our guest, Doug, today. I appreciate all my colleagues at Nimsy Insights doing all the hard work so I can have these fun conversations. I appreciate everybody in our industry who fills out our surveys and schedules briefings with Nimsy analysts so we can include you in our published industry research. And finally, I appreciate you, the audience, who are joining us live today. All of the dialogue and chat, everyone leaving. We didn't look at the comments, but... Um, anyone who did leave comments, I appreciate you very much. Thanks for keeping the conversation going. And I look forward to next time. Cheers.